the Garden Hose Australia podcast, where we talk all things gardening. Your hosts, Jamie and Erin, will wander down the garden path with tea or gin in hand and discuss gardening loves, hates, new discoveries, interview some of our garden heroes, visit inspiring gardens and continue a discussion about plants that started over 30 years ago in primary school. Hello, Jamie. Hello, Erin. How are you? I said very high pitch when I do that. The main thing is you don't sound ochre. Well, that's true. You know, I have a fear of sounding ochre. I fear that uh, I'm into my father. So uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a novelty for all of our uh, international listeners that we surely have. We actually, we actually do. We have super beans in um, England. Oh, um, hello, super beans. Yes, that's um, Jackie. Jackie and Josh with their lovely daughters, they used to live uh, very close to me and their kids went to the same primary school as my son and they have moved to Devon. And Jackie messaged me the other day checking when our next episode was coming out. So a big shout-out to Jackie from Super Beans <laughs> in Devon. Our Eating up the garden hose you got, you gave fan club. <laughs> I love it. Now, look, we had a bit of a... a uh gap between when we had our last chat I think about um well our last recorded chat about what are we doing in the garden and what are we planting so this is now that was sort of more early summer so now we're into the end of summer early autumn so I have since you are officially the propagation queen I actually have a lot of propagation questions for you um, but I thought maybe first we just could do a little catch up on what we're what we're doing in the garden at the moment, and then um, if you don't mind me picking your brain on behalf of me and everyone else who wants to <laughs> get some of your propagation wisdom. And look, the great thing is, I'll make it up if I don't know it. I'll make it up. Or awesome, I love that. And I'll sound confident. Well, if you sound confident, you know that then. I will be way more confident when I'm doing this propagation. I'll be well because Jamie told me. Jamie told me, so that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so what have you been doing the last couple of weeks? Oh, garden uh, wise. Last weekend I went to the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society in Fernie Creek. Um, mm. They had a, I think it was a rare plants um, sale on and, um, yeah, great weather. Went with, I've, I know I've told you about, I've got, you know, you know how do you ever name your group of friends, Erin? Like, do you have collectives? I know we were looking for collective nouns a while ago, but <laughs> more like I define this group as my Eurovision horticulture group. <laughs> Eurovision horticulture. <laughs> it's a niche group. <laughs> I'd like to see that on a Venn diagram. <laughs> oh, it, we can Venn the shit out of it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to write down Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, horticulture Eurovision. All right, coming to the Instagram page soon. Yep, Janine and Emily. Big shout out to them. Long time listeners. Um, <laughs> they um, we go to a lot of events together. Uh, they're both in horticulture. They love Eurovision. What's not to love about them? Um, and yeah, we we went to Fernie Creek together, and we've got this funny thing where. I get slightly obsessed about tax receipts for horticultural events because <laughs> um, horticultural events are tax deductible because of my job. Yeah. They're all about professional development and staying current in one's industry. Of course. Uh, not everyone does a tax receipt, Erin. And I tell you. Oh, yes, I guess. Hmm. Mm. And when you were to the horticultural show? Well, last year. Emily and Janine had to put up with me being in a bad mood because <laughs> you had to pay my cash pretty much for everything. Mm-hmm. No one did a tax receipt. 
And mm. I was like, what's wrong with these people? What? understand that this is tax deductible <laughs> um basically the feedback i was given was maybe just calm your farm it'll all be okay um <laughs> but i find plant friends here yes we're all plant friends here um yes but some of us have tax tax deductible plants mm-hmm. um, some of these events are run by people who maybe are no longer submitting tax returns because of their age group they're in oh yes true good point um, and they're volunteering at these events. Yes, and I, and I suspect maybe some of your horticultural Eurovision friends might have been telling you to calm down because these are old people and volunteers. Oh, <laughs> oh yes, I see your point. Take your um, tax receipt rage somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yes, pretty much. But Janine, she's proactive. That's one of the many things I love about her. She messaged the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society before the event. This is last week. <laughs> yeah. Do you think maybe it's because she was just afraid of being embarrassed by, by your tax receipt requests again? <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, gee, I thought it was delightful. She sent us screenshots of, I've messaged them. There's going to be FPOS at the front gate. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll find most of the vendors have um FPOS facilities yeah. um so we were very excited but I, I went prepared I, I got out a heap of cash because you'll still need it um I asked at the front gate could I get a tax receipt no and you can't still so yeah look anyway it's about plants not tax receipts I think we need to focus on that <laughs> delightful event bought some fabulous plants but um, I think I bought more for other people than I did myself. Um, uh, bought some fabulous grafted flowering gums for a friend who's been looking for them for ages. Ooh, what sort of flowering? I love a good flowering gum. Um, My late father-in-law um, grew some rather spectacular like dwarf flowering gums. Mm. Mm, I always admire them over there. Yeah, they were. Uh, so I think I bought dwarf ones with... Um, uh, dark pink flowers um, mm. and yeah it was it was nice but um, Emily and Janine were far more committed than I was I think I bought two plants for myself and one of them afterwards I'm showing Janine I'm like Janine look at the salvia I just bought and she said you know I grow that one like you could have got that off me and I'm like oh <laughs> no I didn't oh. um, <laughs> but it turned into this beautiful thing because then next time I was at Janine's house I think it was later that same weekend I bought two of that same salvia from her and then the following day I was at school pickup and I was giving one of the school mums some plants, maybe some dahlia seedlings um, and another blue salvia that Janine and Emily had given me. I gave it to one of the school mums because I didn't know where to plant it and there was an elderly lady in the car between us and she said, did you just say blue salvia? And I'm like, yes. She said, well, well, are you from a nursery? Where did you get it? Where can I get one? I'm like, Hold on one moment, please. And because I'd accidentally bought too many of these blue salvias that I yeah. really like, oh. I was able to pass one on to her and she was so excited. She lives in a retirement village and the gardeners, she tells me they don't know what they're doing, um, they pulled out her blue salvia and I'm like, well, this one has a label. Make sure you plant it with the label so that they oh. understand this is your garden plant. And she tried to give me money and I'm like, no, it's just your lucky day that I'm driving around. <laughs> With salvias in my blue salvia. I've got excess blue salvias today. It's your lucky day. What a lovely horticultural good deed that was. We gardeners like to share. She was so happy and I'm like, oh, I wish Janine was here to see that her blue salvia has created so much joy. I I have quite a few salvias, less than I did have once because I find that um, there is, there seem to be, I'm sure there are many types of salvias, but for me, the line is there's two groups. There are ones that survive frost and ones that do not. And for someone here who has, you know, minus five degrees, six months of frost every year, that's a very important line of demarcation. And I, I, every time I try to buy a salvia, like I'm trying to research where are they from? Are they from a frosty place? It's not always easy to get that information. Sometimes the information is conflicting online. Um, and so I end up losing quite, well, I probably have a 50-50 success rate. 
Um, and things like, you know, pineapple sage that, you know, I love dies every year. I get another one because I keep forgetting to, you know, bring it in out of the frost um, or cover because it. Because no one, no one does that. No, no one does that. I so. think what, what we need to do then is I just, um, do you have Janine and Emily's phone numbers? Uh, no, I have Emily um, on um, Instagram. Yeah, look, I think I need to hook you up with the phone numbers. Put them in speed dial for like in mm. your favourites for whenever you're looking at a salvia. And I, my oh, go-to is them. I just call them straight away and go, what are you talking about this one with the frost? Yeah, that's a good idea. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, quite um, frankly, I don't know how you've gardened this long without a Janine and an Emily. Yeah, me neither, actually. Well, because I've had you, really. Oh. So. <laughs> and then you say, hang on, you either very confidently make something up if you don't know it <laughs> or say, I'll go and speak to my plant spirit, then I'll come back to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have been, well, we're starting to pull out some of the summer stuff and get beds ready. What are you pulling uh, out? Pulling out old vegetables, a whole lot of stuff that's gone to seed. I've been collecting seed from the, you know, spring flowers, um, all the Canterbury bells, things like that. I'm letting my zinnias go to seed now. Um, and then I'm saving all of that and then starting to reset the bed, starting to think about will I be able to fill them all with hardy annuals or will I try some cover cropping? So I was actually thinking the bed I've got all my dahlias in, when that finishes, I am not going to dig them up this year. Ain't nobody got time for that shit. <laughs> Ain't nobody. So um, I'm thinking, what if I sort of mounded that up a bit and did a cover crop over the dahlia bed? That's really so that I recognise it is the dahlia bed for next year and don't go digging them up. Like a, a, a clover type? Yeah, red. possibly. Mustard. I don't know, something mm. like that, something that will keep out some of the other weeds mm. maybe, or I could just, I suppose, just cover the bed. Look, covering the bed sounds easy and quick, but if you cover crop, then you're improving your soil at the same time. Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking. I might give it a go. I did discover a fun Netflix show called The Big Flower Fight. Oh, I've heard about it, but I haven't watched uh, it. Have you seen Oh, it's funny. So it's in the UK and it's, Florists, or actually, they're not all florists. Florists, some kind of florists, some gardeners, and they have to do these big, crazy flower-based installations. So it's sort of like Master Chef for flowers, <laughs> and um, it doesn't go for that long. I can't remember. Maybe it's six or eight episodes. That was fun. That was quite lovely. Um, and I found a new gardening podcast called Roots and All. Oh, let me write that down. Roots and all. It's a UK one. So that's been quite good while I've been out in the garden digging away. Look, though I had this one episode that I did think, I don't know if this is really me. I actually thought it sounded like the sort of episode you would like. They had, they interviewed. <laughs> it was a little bit woo-woo it sounded, a bit out there. Um, but it was fascinating. So that it was Sound Matters. They interviewed a chief listening officer, Mike Edwards, his name was. What a great job title. A chief listening officer. So, so the idea of this is that they talked about how disconnected urban dwellers are from the soundscape of nature. And this guy started, I think he was like a climatologist or something, and now he's um, hooked up with some other, um, uh, other ecologists and um, musical composers, um, people who measure and monitor sound and things like this. And what he said, you know, if we really want people to uh, be galvanised into action, to take positive action um, against climate change and to improve their environment, they need to feel connected to it. They won't be motivated unless they are. And sound is an incredibly powerful way to do that. So they talked about how they were creating, they are working on projects where um, they were working on one in Spain where they were trying to create um, from what was previously like derelict sort of land or I don't know if it was a landfill site or something, creating a garden there. Um, but they wanted it, it was in an urban area, they wanted it to be a fully immersive experience. And I'm talking about a soundscape. I I was thinking when you, birds and, you know, I don't know, wind through the trees and that sort of thing. 
So then they played a piece of music that they had they had composed that was actually representing, I think it was like like mycorrhizal fungi and the connections oh, cool. under the ground. And I'm thinking, how is how is this gonna sound? Um kind of had sounded like a lot of 80s synthesized stuff through it. And it was not what I was expecting. It was a bit but, of a dance track. <laughs> but the plants, the plants love the 80s. This is science, so there's no arguing with it. So it was fascinating, like in a totally weird way. It was fascinating. So, um, yeah, I've been listening to those where I've just been plugging away at the garden. Uh, so, yeah, but I want to cut to the chase and talk about propagation because this is now my next month is all about propagation. So I want to bone up and ask you lots of questions. Well, that's an interesting expression, Erin. <laughs> you you sound very excited about propagation. I am. I am. So I'll start. I'll say these are some of the things that I want to be propagating. I'll, we'll talk about seed as well because I'm doing lots of that. But from cuttings at the moment, and I don't know if olives, how well they do from cuttings, but I want to be growing olives, westringia, camellias, hydrangea, horias, tucriums, some buxus, well, my son wants to, to do buxus, geraniums, sedums, and then I'll have some of my indoor plants. So there's a shopping list for you. Okay. You keep in the back of your mind while I'm asking you all these questions. Okay. So to start off with, what I want to know is, now I just indiscriminately usually take cuttings whenever it occurs to me and I remember to do it. However, I know that sometimes some plants, I should be taking them in summer or sometimes I should be taking them in winter or I should be taking them spring or whatever. How do I know when is the best time? I'm going to say something radical to you. Yeah. Look it up on the internet. <laughs> I, know, I know that sounds. Google um, it. Google it. Just because it's entirely species dependent, some are just going to be. Uh, look, I think it's one of those things that I do love horticulture for the fact that you can look it up very mm. frequently on the internet and someone's already done it. It's very rare that you're going to be the only one who is, is, is looking to do this, but um, because things are specific, like so even teaching horticulture can be tricky when you've gone, look, this is the rule except for with this. Mm. this, this. So say, for example, with camellias, now's a great time um, to be doing camellias, but not all of them. So now's a great time in general for hybrids and sasanquas. So why is that? Why is now good for them and not for some others? Some of the time it will just be about the firmness of the material. So um, you're trying to time it so that the dormant buds haven't started to grow yet. So you either have to do it now before the buds start to grow or you have to wait um, until the material has grown and um, that it's firm. So with camellias now, you'd be looking for what's called semi-hardwood. So you've got softwood, semi-hardwood and hardwood. So softwood is when your cutting material is that season's growth, but it's still quite soft and it can snap quite easily. Um, mm -hmm. Semi-hardwood would be things like your camellias that, um, your camellia sasanquas that you might be doing now where the, the wood is very firm and if you felt it, you'd go, oh, yes, it's hard, but it's it's um, it's um not as hard as a hardwood cutting, which is generally done in winter. So if I wanted to do roses, I'd put in cuttings in winter and that would be considered a hardwood cutting as opposed to a Camellia Sasanqua that I was putting in now that would be a semi-hardwood cutting as opposed to if I was putting in new gross cuttings that were very soft of um, any type of buxus that you could put in now. Okay, so you would do buxus now. So what about hydrangeas? Well, so um, great question, Erin. Um, hang on, I'll just go back to buxus. So buxus are one of those things that you can do them most of the year. So um, as long as they're, when I say softwood cutting, the material has finished growing for the season, but it hasn't. Uh -huh. So the stems would be green, but it's not actively growing it's it's done all the growth it's going to do it's just that the the stem and the leaves are going to become more firm so then the end of summer as the temperatures are starting to go down that's when you'd expect that that sort of growth would probably uh, slow down for that well so 
generally if I was looking at a Buxus hedge, it's going to shoot in spring. Mm-hmm. It might do a second flush in summer, but in generally coming out of winter, your hedge is going to grow. You get that really bright um, green growth of the, the new growth. Oh, sorry, bright green color of the new growth. That's too soft. But once it's finished growing, pretty much then you can do cuttings from summer right through winter until um, they're going to shoot again. So buxus are really versatile in that way. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the differences in cuttings is something like buxus will shoot roots out of the stem. They'll do it below a growth bud. They'll do it above a growth bud. And sometimes oh. if you have um, the variety Dutch box, which I think that botanically is um, Buxus sempervirens sofruticosa, because it's so dense in its growth, sometimes you can pull the bush apart and have a look inside and it will actually be shooting roots right up through the middle of the bush oh, if it's growing nice. in favourable conditions. And why is that? What? It wants to what? live. It wants, it to, wants grow. to live. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> it's hedging its bets. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> it's horticultural comedy at its finest. <laughs> it could probably get better. <laughs> so can we go into hydrangeas now? Because yes. I have, I have, um, I nearly killed a hydrangea that my mother-in-law gave me and I felt terrible about this and I've worked very hard to bring it back from the brink and I have because it's a bit of one of those heirloom ones that's kind of cuttings of from the family have been handed down. Anyway, got it back. It's shooting now. And so I really feel that I need to be taking some more cuttings of this one and making more of them. Um, It's a macrophylla. Mm -hmm. Um, So when am I best to do that? So if you were doing that now, that's sort of late for the summer prop season, you say macrophylla, I say macrophylla. Let's call it. Oh, sorry, macrophylla. No, no, that's not a sorry. That's a, that's a, it's either or. Oh, it's um, like the clivia, clivia kind of debate. Yes. We'll have to get the Latin guy in um, to discuss yes. this. Yes. Get the Latin guy in. Ask the Latin guy about macrophylla and macrophylla, what he would say. In his very deep voice, he would say, yes. it is probably either or <laughs> either. <laughs> <laughs> so with your hydrangea macrophylla or phyla, around Christmas time is good. I I was running late and put some in maybe about four or five weeks ago Mm -hmm. um, and they're looking okay. If you miss the summer propagation window for hydrangea macrophylla, you can do them as hardwood cuttings in winter. Oh, okay. I find I get a better result from the summer cuttings. And what do you put that down to? I think that they're actively growing. Mm-hmm. And so when you do a hydrangea cutting, you've got your stem. Where the leaves shoot out of the stem in the leaf axle, so between the petiole, which is the stalk of the leaf, mm-hmm. and the stem, there'll be a dormant bud. And you don't need that for it to shoot roots out of. So, for example, with with a Camellia sasanqua, I like to have a set of buds Um, that are going to be below ground in the propagation mix and I'll wound one of those buds to get it to do this thing called callus which is the equivalent of a scab if you've scratched or cut yourself it's it's healing but it's um, in plants it's a precursor to shooting roots a lot of the time and and because you get a lot of hormones gathering around those buds so plant Mm -hmm. hormones are called auxins so often it's good to trick those auxins into healing and then shooting roots. In hydrangeas, you don't need that. They'll shoot out roots from anywhere on the stem. So you just need a set of buds for it to shoot from and grow from at the top. Oh, because that's very lovely and obliging then. Very obliging, yeah. And so they sort of do a thing on the stem where they they swell up the and it, um, you, you get a texture and swelling on the stem just before it shoots roots and that's how you know that your cutting will most likely grow as opposed to rotting and dying. And is this the case across all the hydrangeas you've um, propagated like it's paniculatas as well they're all you would treat them all similarly? Yes except I find paniculatas much harder 
Um, That's why they're so much more expensive, obviously, because that beautiful Sunday phrase mm, one mm. is so much more expensive mm. and to buy than some of the like macrophylla type. I've now got, I went to a plant show up at Macedon, oh, I think that, I don't know if it was just before Christmas or after Christmas, before Christmas maybe, and I bought some little tubes of that and I've been babying them along because I did forget to water them one very hot weekend and they didn't <laughs> like that. So I think I have brought most of them back now and I want to grow them up so that then I can propagate from those. But I'm figuring that's I've got at least another like two years because they grow so much more slowly, those ones. Yeah, I am. Um... I took hardwood cuttings off one that I bought and I thought I'd killed it, but I actually think it was the slugs just kept chewing on the new growth. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. <laughs> and I've I've bought um I've bought another one to replace it. But what I did notice in my general area, there's a paddock of hydrangea paniculata growing and they're fabulous. As they would be. It looks like there's hundreds of plants in there in this high fenced off area on the main road um and i saw a nursery instagram selfie waiting to happen isn't it Mm. i'd pull over but it's in an inconvenient spot but now that you've oh i feel like that's a challenge um (laughs) look it's me with the paniculatas have a great day (laughs) oh gosh my brain just went a million places can i just The opportunities. Can I just take you said slugs before? Yes. While your brain's rebooting again, I'm just going to take you on a short slug segue. Do remember when we had a discussion, our first episode, I think it was, I said that I was going to find the collective noun for slugs. (laughs) Now, it, I've actually kept checking many sites for this because I didn't believe it was true because it sounded too nice like I thought it was going to be a slime of slugs or something Mm. like that it is a cornucopia of slugs is it there you go anyway that is not what that is not what I was expecting no it wasn't it sounds very pretty you could waste it on slugs it's Mm. it's a cornucopia as in like a plenty yes because I tell you I was out in the garden this morning picking flowers for my mother-in-law's birthday and it was drizzling and there was a plenty of slugs. <laughs> and you. Well, you can now call it a cornucopia. Mate, there was a cornucopia. Oh, good <laughs> Lord. And I actually almost took photos to send to you with my foot next to them for scale because that is the accepted <laughs> measurement, the scale measurement. And I was actually in a hurry to get home to uh for this recording session (laughs) we've got these giant black slugs at my place I think we've talked about this when we talked about slugs that I think they're introduced I don't think they're native I ran one over and I didn't realize I got out of the car Jesus Christ it was a cornucopia of guts I (laughs) think that's the enormous it's enormous it's bloody enormous um all right you say hydrangeas um You've given me some good information, so I'll probably wait for winter hardwood on the ones I have now. I, you can also hedge your bets. So I did late summer prop, that one that you've got that's the family heirloom. Mm. If you've got multiple stems of it, you could do, so. like sometimes if you've got a, a vigorous plant and you cut one stem off it, you're getting multiple cuttings because, again, you just need a set of buds for it to shoot from. So depending on the length of the stem um, and in between the stem where the buds are, that's called they're called internodes. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they, they might be, oh, I'm, I'm gesturing to you on the podcast with my <laughs> fingers. <laughs> Finger and thumb to show the internode. The length of the internode. They, mm-hmm. they might be 10 or so centimetres or it might be um, one to two centimetres and it really won't matter. All you need is for it to put on roots and have somewhere for it to shoot from. And I, I don't um, use hormone on on the hydrangeas. Um, ah, now, this was a follow-up question I yes. was going to have, and you've just started answering this. One of them, what cuttings do you take that you do use hormone on? Camellias, definitely. Camellias. If you're doing something like osmanthus, um, if you were doing hardwood cuttings in winter, I'd always use hormone on hardwood cuttings. Is that because they're not actively growing so mm. they need a bit of a help? Yeah, sometimes it gives them a little bit of a 
a shock and a bump along. Um, you can buy hormone in different strengths. So if you're buying, you can get it in a gel form. You, mm-hmm. you can get it in different strengths and it's just about how much of the active component, per, okay. how many grams per litre there is in that formula. So it comes in different strengths for softwood, semi-hardwood and hardwood. If in doubt, buy the one in the middle, like get semi-hardwood and use it for everything. And people often ask me, like, can you use honey? Yes, you can. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that in terms of honey, like don't go getting your family honey jar and sticking, sticking the cuttings in that. My suggestion is you decant some of the honey. Yeah, I may have done that before. Mm. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why is there coria leaves in the honey? Oh, yeah, it's rosemary. It's rosemary. 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 The lamb. The lamb. Goes on the lamb. Oh, so coria reminds me. I'm thinking about a lot of your natives. So corias are great. You can do them as soon as the materials hardened off. The closer to winter, the longer that they'll take to strike roots. Mm-hmm. I like to do a lot of the natives. So I think if they were grevilleas of any sort, I I think I'd try and aim for late January, early February. Okay. Why is that? Just while they're they've just firmed up um enough, but they're still vigorously growing. They don't want to sit there all winter with no roots on them. Okay. Um, and so I don't know if this is in this is true, but in my own mind, if I'm trying to grow natives. I'm trying to propagate them around February. But if you're looking for specifics, really the internet is awesome for, yeah. you know, just typing in uh, what time of year do I propagate um, yeah. couriers? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you don't have a greenhouse, I, mm-hmm. I have a greenhouse. It's not enormous, but mm-hmm. I'm filling it with seed and I haven't quite got all my misting and, you mm-hmm. know, water regime right yet. If you don't have a greenhouse, but you know you're taking, you know, say you've taken fifty cuttings of things, I am not awesome at remembering to go and water them every day and that sort of thing. But what is your best tip for success? A couple of things. So right from where you're picking your material, you need to keep it moist. Mm-hmm. Um, like don't let it dry out and don't leave it sitting in the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, picking it early in the morning is best. Okay, so it's like when you harvest flowers. Yeah, and some of that is to do with the sugar contents in the plants Mm. um, and how that changes throughout the day. But so if if you're someone like me, because I often forget to water things as well, putting your propagation, say, for example, Erin, I know where you live, you could put it maybe on the back deck out of the way, but somewhere where the sun's not going to hit it and heat it up because it doesn't have roots. So it can't suck in moisture through its roots to rehydrate. So often what you're trying to do is finding a way to make an environment that has higher humidity. And and so that leads me to say, for example, if I was growing, uh, if I was doing camellia cuttings, I would take a third to half of the leaf surface off so I'd cut the leaves so that they're not transpiring as much so transpiring is where um the leaf is most um is is giving off moisture um you're trying to reduce that because it can't replenish it as readily because it doesn't have roots so using something like a clear or slightly opaque plastic tub turning it upside down and making a mini greenhouse and putting multiple cuttings in the one pot. So if you've got something like a 20 centimetre pot, filling it up with your choice of propagation mix and sticking 20 or 30 cuttings in the one pot. Yeah, okay. It, That's a lot more than I would have thought. Well, yeah. If, if And if I was doing camellias, I would have a seedling tray and I'd put 100 in there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So some things, it won't matter if they touch. So again, like hydrangeas, doesn't matter if the leaves leaves touch. Same with camellias. Yeah. They the, And the leaves might drop off anyway, particularly for something like a hydrangea because it's going to become dormant and deciduous. But then it'll, it's also helping to make a little microclimate and it keeps mm, the humidity yeah, up. That makes so sense. So covering them with an upside down plastic container and you can even use the lid as the base so that you don't end up with water mm-hmm. all over your deck if you don't want. But like they don't have to, you don't have to be tripping over them, but something where yeah. you're going to be walking past them and it's not your greenhouse, you've saved all that greenhouse yeah. space. 
And at what point would you transplant those? If I took those camellia cuttings, you know, next week and I was a very good plant mom and they were all looking like that, were growing roots over the next, I don't know, couple of months, when would you be looking at pulling them out, those hundred um, cuttings? Somewhere probably not uh, not until at least October. Okay. Because they're going to sit there all winter and they might slowly put on roots, but um, they'll start growing again come spring and to have enough roots, probably probably October through to December, you could take them out of their communal pot and put them into a singular little 75 millimetre pot. Mm, okay, good. Now the other one I want to ask is sedum. So I love Autumn Joy mm-hmm. um, and I do love sedum matrona and I've got some, a few successful little patches of those and I'd like to grow a lot more. Now I've broken off you know, hold stems of those and they just like you throw them up against the wall and wherever they land, they grow. I mean, they're they're very willing, but it seems like that's wasting a lot of the plant. If they're that willing, are they like some other succulents where I can just take off a leaf and stick it on top of the growing media and they will grow as well, do you think? Yes. Stop throwing your plants up against the wall. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll be a better plant mum. What, what the hell? Um, <laughs> yes, leaf cuttings. And, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at um, I've got a couple of really nice sedums in the garden and probably I should have done some of them sooner. I've got, so I, I can't remember what they're called. Emily would know mm-hmm. uh, because I got them from her. A <laughs> um, couple of really beautiful dark leaf varieties. They seem mm-hmm. to have some powdery mildew on them because it's been, a, oh, I don't know, it's at that time of the season where that's what's happening at my place. But I'm, I can't remember the variety, but I got a couple of rippers from antique perennials, and oh, they have beautiful plants. Yeah, I've got this gorgeous sedum that uh, I was looking at today, and yeah, I'll do leaf cuttings of. So with succulents with a leaf cutting, different to say you, you and I have talked about begonias. Mm. Sometimes you can do sections of a leaf. So if you've got a begonia rex variety, which are quite you, quite a big leaf, isn't it? Depending on the variety, yeah. You can cut between the veins and make multiple cuttings. I think you and I need to do like a video of this. Mm, um, let's yeah. do some video content. Um, as opposed point. to with a sedum, I wouldn't be cutting it into sections. It's one leaf equals one cutting. Okay. Whereas like a begonia rex, it could be one leaf equals 10 cuttings. Right, okay. So with the sedum, also what you want is to get the base of the leaf as detaching it as closely as you can to the stem Mm -hmm. and then you're placing that on you may not necessarily want something that's going to hold as much moisture so if I was you my go-to propagation mix is equal parts perlite um to peat moss um right so no like sifted compost or anything like that in there no but I'm not opposed to it yeah and Sometimes if I run out of propagation mix, I just use potting mix. So perlite and uh, peat moss, could you use like the cocoa fibre, that fine? Yeah, yeah, I would because peat moss isn't a sustainable product. Mm. Do you know that for every metre of peat moss that you would excavate out of the ground to sell to the other side of the world, so like if I buy a big bag of peat moss, it's generally, and this is for work, Generally, it's come from the Northern Hemisphere. It's travelled a long way, but for every metre down that they excavate, apparently takes a 1,000 years of organic matter to build up. I don't know right. if this is true. So we'll just go to cocoa fibre. Cocoa fibre. I think you just want something suitable for your plant. Like you can get really fussy. Just go and buy a bag of propagation mix if you're unsure. And it might just say seed raising or propagation mix. Uh, or you could just try potting mix. So something like the sedums, they don't need a mix that's going to hold a truckload of water because they're essentially similar to a succulent. And yeah. a succulent doesn't want to be in your misting system and high humidity environment. It'll just rot. So I just put, lay the leaf on top of the the mix? Yeah, and just um, sort of gently poke the leaf base mm-hmm. a little bit, like um, say five millimetres I'm signalling to you again with my fingers. <laughs> she is signalling half a centimetre. Yep. Half a centimetre. 
five millimeters, just poking your leaf base a little bit into the propagation mix. And you can do that with most of your succulents. You can take leaves. Mm. Um, uh, so sometimes if you were to look it up, it would say dry the leaf out for a week or two to get that base to um, dry out. But often when I'm, if, if I'm teaching, I don't have time to dry them out and we do them on the same day and they, they work really well and mm. um, they'll shoot from that leaf base area. Awesome. All right. Well, I know what I'm doing next weekend now. I think that would be a good one with the kids. I think they'd like doing that with the seeds. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Now, can I ask you about seeds? So in seeds, how, do you normally sow in, because um, I'm about to, I've just did enormous seed orders. And um, so I have a lot of seed coming at the moment from ball and from Sam and the Wild Violet Garden and from Seedscape and RP Seeds and on wow. a, I, I feel like I have to start hiding it every I keep the PO box every time Tom says he's going to go check <laughs> the PO box let me let me let me because it's just overflowing with packages of seed that's that's like your mother used to hide the new shoes in the boot of her dad's yeah I'm hide. hiding seed <laughs> Because I see it on, and then I forget that I've already bought that particular seed from someone else because I see it on another site and think, ooh, that looks good. But yeah, anyway. So, and then I've got all the seed that I've saved as well. So, I really need to start sowing seed. So, um, I do, do you sow in like trays or do you have cell trays that you prefer? What do you prefer with most of your flower seeds? Um, sometimes it depends on the space I have and the time I have. So the dahlias that I grew, I was really, because I, was, I wasn't I was convinced that I could actually grow them from seed because I hadn't done them before and they seemed so exotic to me. I had cell trays left over from um, plugs that I'd got from ball and I think I just filled them up with potting mix. So they're the 288 trays? Uh, no, like a 150. Uh, yes, yeah, the 158s are tiny. I've tried oh. on those before. Yeah, and they don't do them by hand. They have machines that do that, Erin, and that's yeah. how you get a 288 from ball with seedlings in it. But, they, but, and, but oh, they just dry out for me because each cell oh. is so tiny and they're obviously yeah. in a very well-managed environment. At oh, yes. So um, I did buy some. Uh, biggest cell trays I saw recently, um, as in the bigger the cells are bigger, and I think they're, I think they're fifty six. Oh, that's um, big. Yeah, because I figure I'm also like I'm an enthusiastic, but somewhat lazy gardener, or or maybe I just oh. lose interest too soon because I don't want to have to keep bumping them up. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's where I get to. Depending on how much space you have, as well mm. as time, if you don't want to be bumping up. And because what's that? You're a flower farmer who also works a full-time job elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I like sewing into, when I can, hang on, I'll backtrack, dahlias. I did into a, I think it was a, a approximately 150 cell tray. So again, I'm going to gesture to you with my fingers. Those cells I think are about two centimetres across and yep. probably two to three or three centimetres deep. Mm-hmm. Um, however. If I have the space, then I like to use a 75 millimeter tube and they mm. I fit 20 of those into a seedling tray. Ah, and okay. I I just fill them up with potting mix mm. almost to the top, put my seeds in, and then just um, cover them a little bit with um, more potting mix and put them on the propagation bench under automatic mist and let right. them germinate in there. And then when they've germinated and they don't need misting, then I move them off into a shady spot and let mm-hmm. them keep growing. And then they're getting sort of watered once or twice a day. Right. Mm. But that depends on how much room you've got because then I'm getting 20 plants into a space that if I I, I could get 150 plugs yeah. in the same space as two trays, two tube trays. You know, I feel like it's sort of a bit of a payoff too because say, well, how much space have I got there? But then also if they're in the tubes, I find they're much easier to transplant mm-hmm. um, afterwards as well rather than trying to get, you know, little fiddly, you know, seedlings out of um, mm. cell trays, particularly if I'm doing hundreds at a time and trying to get them out. God, that drives me batty. So, <laughs> well, you know, I'm a fan of the soil blocking. Yes, they um, can. Well, I've had lots of people questioning me about this, Erin, and I haven't done it before, but people have been saying to me, 
Tell me more about this soil blocking. What is soil well, blocking? Can you explain I that more? that it's actually, uh, like I've only been doing it the last year or so, but I understand that it's been, the Dutch have been doing it for a long, 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 long time. Um, the Dutch for, would have. The Dutch for um, those clever people broad, on a broad scale. Um, so I, you can get different size soil blockers, the, this little manual implement that, you know, creates your blocks. So What's you can like, get. So as in like a, a little block of like dirt? Or, it's or a little things? block of dirt, basically, whatever right. your growing media is. Um, so like a, a cube shape. Bit yeah, it's a cube. Dirt. So, for example, the one I have, it creates um, five little cubes and they are, I looked it up before we got on here, they are 3.8 centimetre little squares. Ah, the um, old 3.8. 3.8. Mm. Um, and that's sort of like a medium size. So a lot of people, when they do it at scale, there is a smaller size down um, from that, and then they will bump them up. But, again, uh, refer above to my dislike of having to bump up. Mm. <laughs> I went, no, 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 I'm just going to go with the bigger one at the start so that I don't. I can sort of skip that one bump up. <laughs> But, and how does your cube hold together? Is it about the moisture content? Yeah, it is. So um, it's a bit of trial and error, I think, with the mix. So I've sort of settled on, like I've done straight seed raising mix in there um, before, but for one thing, that's it's expensive to do a lot of and it's also it can get a bit fully apart, I find, or it can go that's sludgy. A that's a technical term, fully apart. a technical apart. term, fully apart or sludgy. One or the other. Um, you want it to be quite, um, quite wet. So what I found is about three quarters of it is that like cocoa fiber stuff we were talking before, like the fine you buy it in a compressed block and then you soak it. About three quarters of that to um, one quarter. I do use like either like a sifted um, compost, whether I've used some of my own or I've bought compost and just get out too many big bits, make it quite fine. Um, and that's about all. Like I haven't added amendments to that, but I know some other people who are very good at it and serious about it will add a little bit of something like um, rock dust, something like that. Oh, I love rock dust. Yeah, well, I'm I'm coming on board um, rock dust. It's, again, it's a bit of an expensive amendment, but I'm, you know, I, I've really seen a difference when I've used that on beds. So, and with it, it's I sort of I put it like all in a in a bucket and then mix it with water sort of gradually like I probably start with maybe I reckon four parts of the growing media mixed to one part water and then you want it to be pretty damp so that it all holds together like not mud but quite damp like you've got a wet sponge you could still mm -hmm. wring a bit of water mm -hmm. out of it mm -hmm. and it's a bit of trial and error too and so then you push this little soil blocker in I will post a picture of it on Instagram so people can see it um, and you fill these little squares um, with the media and then it's got a handle that you push down and it just pushes out these five perfectly formed little cubes with a little like it's got a little automatic dibbler built into it and it presses a hole in the middle of each one to put your seed in. Um, so you just, you just said dibbler? A dibbler, I know. That's a good word. What's a dibbler, Erin? A dibbler is just any sort of pokey implement that makes a hole <laughs> for a, a seed or something to go in. <laughs> I used to use a chopstick as my dibbler. <laughs> mm, mm. And dibbler is like, she didn't make that up. That's that's an actual term. That's what they call dibblers. <laughs> no, absolutely. It wasn't just me going, you know, like, who's no, a what's he dibbler thingy? Yeah, the what's he dibbler. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, the what's he dibbler. <laughs> um, so... Anyway, I've, I've liked these because it's a very satisfying experience to go through and just punch out all of these. But I also find it much easier when it comes to transplanting these and then putting them in the ground. I'm not having to try to, you know, wrangle a big cell tray and get some out and then lose some roots and pull them out because they're already in their little self-contained blocks. So hang on. And the other hang on, go back. What did you what what are they in? Like are you you soil yeah, blocks so, having well, a cube onto a seedling I'm just tray? Filing a new thing. So what I did have that you often see them on trays and where you buy you know different sites. Like I bought my soil blocker from an Australian website called Active Vista, I think it was. But 
there's um, a couple of big US and UK ones who do all the big soil blocking supplies and they'll often sell trays, packs of trays that have a slight lip so that you can water from um, the base. So you can, <clears throat> in a little watering can, you put some water or whatever, you know, on the base and they drink it up from the root. So you're not disturbing the top and moving like fine seed around. And But I find that they're quite expensive to buy like that. So I was, you know, just a trial and error with different sorts of trays. But a friend put me into this. I've been buying like $4 um, kitty litter trays from the reject shelf um, and they hold quite a lot and um, you can water, they hold the water really well um, and they're really sturdy and rigid. They don't, because I have had a few mishaps with trays where I've picked it up from one end and then lost, you know, 50 soil blocks off the other end. There is much cursing and, you know. I told you there had to be a use for cats. And I think we've just found it. I think we just did. They're kitty litter trays. Well, not really a use for the cat, though, is it? <laughs> for the merchandise. For their merchandise. Is there <laughs> is there RCN the merchandise producer? Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, and But, Erin, why soil block? Why is soil blocking? Yeah, so the idea is that it actually develops a stronger root system. Um, so the roots there will, because they're, they're not sort of, individually contained they will get air pruned um, as they sort of reach the end of the block and it actually encourages them to create more of the you know like the fine filamenty sort of roots that um, go out in the block and I have been surprised like things like tiny little snapdragons when it doesn't look like they're very big because they sort of stay small for a long time and it's really not till sort of early spring that then they just take off with what my experience with them. But that little three and a half centimetre block is um, chock a block <laughs> full oh. of just this fine feeder you know, root mass. It, it's really quite incredible how and how quickly they seem to grow. So can you explain to us what air pruning is then and why why well, for that? Yeah, so the um once so the, the roots uh you know prefer to be in this, you know, dark and moist area and then once they basically hit the edges um and then they're out there with you know, oh there's all they're like little vampires, you know, out there with the light going no no no, you I'm going to be killed if I'm out here. Um and so that encourages them, you know, to look within. <laughs> And go back and keep growing there. Oh, self-aware root systems. They're looking with Self-aware within. root systems. They're very clever. Um, and so, uh, look, I don't know. You probably know more of why that's so good than I do, but I just know from trial and error that I end up with stronger seedlings at an earlier age um, when they've done that as opposed to having been in a cell trait. Well, there, I mean, there's certain things that that strongly dislike being disturbed, like if you can have a contained unit mm. of root. So I'm thinking now about your veggie and herb garden, things like dill and coriander. If you grow them in a pot and try and transplant them, they will do what's called bolting to seed where they get a shock because they're, they're fascinating. Like coriander and dill, it's almost like the roots stick to the plastic pot. I don't mm. know how to do it. But they do. And when you sort of pull on the plant really hard, you disturb the roots and give them a shock and they go, oh, hang on, that was a massive shock. I now need to flower and produce seed in terms of survival for my species. So there's some things that you direct sow, like straight into the ground because they um, they don't want to be disturbed and, and things like carrots. So if you're growing a root vegetable, uh, yeah. you'd grow that directly, uh, like you'd sow it directly where you want to grow that crop. So never buy coriander, dill or carrots. In punnets. Um, in punnets. And, but, yeah, so when you're growing these little plants with a self-contained root system, instead of turning a pot upside down and trying to squeeze and shake your little plant out mm -hmm. to get it into the ground and doing that a thousand times per variety of cut flower that you want to grow, which takes a lot of time. If you, so are you saying that you can go straight from soil block into the ground? Yep, that's what I've been doing. Wow, cool. So I know that, that not everyone does, and it probably depends a little bit on your your climate where you are um, and exactly what it is that you're growing. Yeah. But for me, for example, right now, I think you've got to get the timing right. So particularly with what we're growing at the moment, the, the hardy annuals, the cool flowers, the ones that can cope being out over winter and frost and, you know, some of them snow, 
if you do them too early, um, that they're going to die. And, you know, some of them, it doesn't matter how late you do them, but for a lot of them, you've got this nice window. That's why I'm madly sowing now. So about most of them, six to eight weeks before your first frost. Um, and we typically mark late April as our first frost. Oh, my Anzac God. Day. Really? Yes. Yep. Generally, like I've been marking it since we moved here, and it's generally around Anzac Day. And then the last frost is sometimes cup day, but we've had a couple of years where we've had a late one later than that. And it's just, you know, we've got a bit cocky and put stuff out and then the late frost has come in and whipped those things. So anyway. your ego out from underneath you. Absolutely. No ego when you're a gardener. It just doesn't work. Um, (laughs) Mother Nature. Did you know about the amount of frost days or the length of frost in your year when you moved to where you did? No. Uh, Well, look, I had like broadly thought, look, I will get frost because where we were living, you know, in Melbourne, because it was so built up and, you know, urbanised there, we just didn't get frost anymore um, because there was so much hard impermeable surfaces around that, you know, retained all the heat and released it overnight that we just didn't get frost in the garden. Um, and so we came here and I thought, oh, well, you know, we'll get some frost mm. in um, in winter. I wasn't expecting the amount of Mm. <laughs> that we that we would be getting because I think it's not just how cold it can get because like when I say you know minus five is unusual minus two to minus three is normal for winter evenings um, but it's the regularity of that so it's plants that are, you know having basically you know a layer of ice over them four days a week for you know several months they need to be able to cope with that. So um, some things that we really want, we, you know, work on covering and, you know, you've got to work with it because then they get blown off and, you know, anyway, you've got to do all that. But anyway, these, I, I've i been surprised at, uh, since I started growing flowers here, the hardy annuals, how hardy some of them are uh, and just keep going. And so that's been terrific to um, be able to work with that. But yeah, right. You need to get them in at the right time, and so from those small um, cells, these I find these hardy annuals are fine. Getting them in at that side, it's like they're they're in prepared beds, and they're not going to grow too much above the ground um, over the cold months. But what they will be doing is getting in a really strong root system. Uh, so then when it starts warming up, you know, early spring, then they really take off um, when they know that they're, they can afford to risk the new growth when, you know, the frost, the temperature's starting to warm up and the ground's a few degrees warmer. Uh, so that's been terrific and I'll be doing a lot more of that this year. Um, so you do want the beds to be weed-free and that sort of thing because they don't have, they, they can't out-compete the weeds for light and that sort of thing. I have been, not on all of them, but on some of them I have still been putting like a floating row cover, so just some light frost cloths, not over hoops or anything, but just sort of, you know, sandbagging it down over them. But I don't even know if I really needed to do that for many of them. I mean, I do have some low hoops to do some of those low caterpillar sort of tunnels with some plastic over it. So I might try that to see just if I can get some things like the Renunx. I will cover Renunx. Um, and so to try to get the renunks coming a bit earlier this year. I've got some that I forgot to dig up, and one of them is one of my favourites. Mm-hmm. They're shooting already. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah. too late to dig them up. They're staying where they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm hoping that that'll, that'll work well this year. Um, but I'll just see. I've also, I mean, I've got a order proteas coming in uh, in two weeks, so still haven't prepared beds for those <laughs> are they just in they're in trays yeah they're just in uh like seven and a half centimeter tubes mm-hmm. yeah just really baby ones mm. so I'm just worried if I I mean I could pop them on into some bigger pots and maybe leave them for now again refer to my earlier comment about my forgetfulness with watering I'm just scared of spending all this money on <laughs> produce and then maybe We'll see. Maybe. And then 
I was thinking about today because I knew we were going to be talking about propagation. I'm like, apart from the contract propagating that I'm doing at the moment, I haven't done a lot of propagating um, for myself. I managed to get the hydrangeas in. I got in, um, I think I'm, I've said on a previous episode, like I'm surprised by I'm buying all these random hydrangeas and how much I'm enjoying the hydrangeas and I'm enjoying them like for flower arranging purposes as well. And when I went to Fernie Creek last weekend, one of the two plants I bought was a different type of hydrangea. And yeah, so to get my hydrangea propagation in was good because I feel I need a lot of white hydrangeas. So I propagated those. And you put up a photo on our um, Insta of the hydrangea quercifolia with the double flowers. Mm. I've got propagation of that in. And then a couple of other really uh, nice new ones that I've bought. Um, And yeah, um, the paniculata Sunday phrase. But I did not, oh, what I was going to tell you before was I noticed that uh, the big patch of the hydrangea paniculata near where I live, there was someone there from a nursery. I saw the logo on their car and I saw the, the worker getting out of the car with big, big bags and they were picking propagation in winter to do hardwood cuttings of them then. Mm. And I think it was PGA Nursery. And they're a really good grower. And I'm like, hmm, note to self, if very good grower is doing it now, yeah, one needs to go, okay, I see what mm. you're doing here. Thank you. Well, I joined on Facebook, a Facebook group called Hydrangea Growers of Australia. Oh, really? Yeah, which is largely backyard growers, people saying, look at my amazing hydrangeas, which is a lovely bit of plant porn. And uh, today there was a woman on there who was showing, she had two years of photos of her prized hydrangeas and she had these really, these purple and pink ones that were so, so dark, really, really dark one. I thought, gee, they were lovely. Dark, dark purple. I've got all the white ones that you propagated for me Mm -hmm. growing um, all under the oak trees there, um, which they've, they're growing well and now I'm thinking now I need some pink and purple in my life mm. I think mm. yes well I I can probably hook you up yeah mm. that would be good I'd like to come and, take some more cuttings of those and some of them might be if if they're not newer varieties they might be pH dependent so uh with hydrangeas like I've got um probably 20 bushes next to my driveway that were here when we moved in and where the driveway's been concreted um the hydrangeas are pink and I think because there's lime possibly Mm. in the concrete and um it's changed the ph of the soil and the further away from the concrete they get the more blue they are Mm. um because if you want blue you need to increase the iron don't you for them yeah yeah Yeah. i've heard of people like putting rusty nails and things in pots yeah hydrangeas to make them blue you can just buy iron chelate. Yeah, that's probably what I would Don't do. worry. <laughs> Don't do the rusty nails. We, it's not like we want tetanus or anything. Um, you can, the, a lot of the newer varieties are colour fast. They're not pH dependent for their Yeah, colour. which is a, a bit easier, I think. I do like, I have seen those, you know, they call them popcorn ones, popcorn yeah. hydrangeas. I love yeah. those little flower heads. Yeah. They're beautiful. I think I bought. Um, I think I bought one of those planted out somewhere. I can't remember where I planted it. <laughs> in with the hydrangeas. It's in the hydrangeas. Yeah, there's a there's a, a popcorn type up the road from me that I've been eyeing off for a couple of years. Like, oh, that's really cool. But it, when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, I think they've got a bad infestation of mites. Look what it's done to those flowers. <laughs> they've curled <laughs> at the edge. <laughs> I'd better get onto that before it spreads through the neighbourhood. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, I think we've exhausted uh, propagation for this week. <laughs> yeah, I think we, Um, I, I reckon we need to get out and take some photos, Erin, because some of this will just be absolute gibberish to our mm. general public. Um, nodes, oh. internodes, callus, what? Let's try and get some photos up on Insta for the dear listeners. Yeah, we'll do, I'll take, I'll do my um, cat tray uh, soil blocking, <laughs> show them. But, um, yeah, I think we'll do, we'll do a bit of a propagation session where we can, you can demonstrate the nodes and those sorts of things for people perhaps and we can do, we'll put a little video up. Let's make it very Rumsfeldian, the nodes unnodes and the node nodes and the unknown <laughs> nodes and the node nodes nodes. <laughs> All right. 
It's um, got viral written all over it, doesn't it? Yeah, doesn't it? So, oh, what are you doing this week, Erin? Got anything horticultural on? What are you doing <laughs> Thursday, Erin? What am I doing on Thursday? Are you going to the Melbourne International Flower and Garden oh, Show? That. Oh, that? Yes, that I am going to the Melbourne the International Flower and Garden Show. Well, that's What sounds- are you doing on Friday, Jamie? I'm going to the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show. <laughs> Hell, have I RSVP'd for something? <laughs> Did not long ago. I was catching. Are we meant to be catching up? What are we doing? <laughs> no, we're going to be busy not seeing each other. We're a day apart. That's right. And then yes. we are going to compare notes. Yes. And we're not going to talk until we yep. get on here. Yep. And then we're going to see whether the things that impressed us mm. the most were the same or whether mm. we had very different tastes. Mm. Now, hot tip. Mm-hmm. I haven't been for a couple of years because there was some nasty little, some sort of pandemic that cancelled the event for the last <laughs> couple of years. I haven't been in a while. You know how we're not sponsored by Green Hip yet? Yeah, crying shame. Crying shame because, gosh, we love their products. Mm. And if they don't sponsor us, maybe SheWear will get, get onto that. Okay. I'm um, up for that. But because we love Green Hip, they, if they're exhibiting there, now, I don't know if this happens every year, but in the past, I've picked up seconds products from them at half the price. Ooh. Mm. Ooh. Well, actually, I just did a very terrible thing. I got a bit impatient for my green hip overalls to be dry because I rotate my couple of pairs that I have. Mm. I threw them in the dryer and completely buggered the one of the little <gasps> claspy things. Mm. And so now I've got to kind of like, you know, cable tie it on. <laughs> So I'm up for buying seconds. <laughs> it's a bit awkward when you have to go to the toilet, but uh Oh yeah. Oh my god. Oh good lord. <laughs> so yeah, totally up for a second pair. <laughs> oh now um you know I love toilet talk. Check out the mm-hmm. toilets while you're there. Um let's see if they're portaloos or not. I shot you through a photo today of a very exciting trade toilet that um uh, and that is now on Instagram. I'll oh, have fantastic. you know. Thank you. Mm, me too. Awesome. Well, All right. let's compare notes soon. All right. Have a good week. You too. Bye. Bye. Just a note on our very catchy garden hose tunes. We have our original music composed and produced by Martini Toothpick. Martini Toothpick are Dan Zielinski and Mika Coleman. We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we reside and recognise their continuing connection to lands, waters and communities and recognise that their wisdom and knowledge has been passed on for thousands of years.